Hello, Charlie Gladstone here, and welcome to my Some Good Mavericks podcast. For those of you that have been kind enough to follow this for a long time, and I know there are a lot of new listeners that have joined us in the last few weeks, I changed the name to Some Good Mavericks as a sort of homage to our new website, somegoodideas.co.uk, which is something that we launched during the lockdown, on Good Friday in fact, and it's a place literally to share ideas, and those ideas are articles by experts, there are several hundred of them, there are films, there are podcasts, there are all sorts of things on there, so um, this is really in order to support that. Now, this series is called Cover Stories, and it's a short series of podcasts about cover versions of songs. Successful cover versions, really obscure cover versions, whatever. This is to support something that I've been doing on Some Good Ideas, which is beginning to build a library of cover versions. This genuinely is not just for hardcore music nuts or or indeed even music lovers. I think it's more about the people that have dialed in their answers to me and what those songs meant to them at a particular time in their lives. So don't worry if you're not a music lover. It's, it's supported with uh, not only the library of cover versions on the somegoodideas.co.uk website, but also with a playlist that I am constructing on Spotify, which is called Some Good Ideas Library of Cover Versions. So have a look at that. All of these songs that we'll be discussing in this series and loads more cover versions are noted there. So you can find out more about the songs there and also, of course, listen to them. For me, music has been my greatest hobby and passion for nearly 50 years. I think for 49 years. I was completely bitten by it, aged about seven. I'm lucky to have a lot of interest, but pop music has been the most passionately held and the most enduring of all of those. I don't really know where the love came from. My parents had absolutely no interest in pop music whatsoever. I mean, I think even the Beatles passed them by. My dad was a particularly cultured man and was interested in classical music and and endless other things, literature and art and and, and architecture and, and much more besides. But pop music simply passed him by and I didn't have an older sibling to pass it down to me. But with little Jimmy Osmond and Gary Glitter, I completely found something that consumed me and Ever since, I've bought endless records. I listen endlessly. I consume music through reading books and magazines and reviews in newspaper and online reviews. Endlessly go to gigs. And so it's been something that's really stayed with me. And and recently, I was starting to alphabetize some of my records. And I started thinking about cover versions. Cover versions are, are an interesting substrand of music really. They have their own allure, they have their own narrative and of course there are great cover versions and there are completely awful cover versions. But they do hold, however we look at it, a peculiar allure. And so I decided to get in touch with a few of my friends who I thought might have an interesting story about a cover version and ask them to send in something to me about that song and the original song and indeed they replied. And first up today, I want to start with my friend Mark Shaler, the public speaker, the business transformation specialist, the author of the fantastic new Do Present, and of course Do Disrupt. 
Uh, a very keen supporter of the Good Life Experience through his Reasons to be Cheerful series each year. And Mark and I are launching a special project next year called Reimagine Your Life, which is something that we will be, I'll be letting you know about fairly soon. I mean, we haven't really nailed down the details, but it's going to be exciting. So I asked Mark and he chose to talk about his relationship with the House Martins version of Caravan of Love. And then after him, we have John Williams, which is really interesting because John Williams is the person who produced not only the Caravan of Love, but both of the first two House Martins albums. So there's a nice and entirely accidental synergy there or synchronicity. Anyway, here we go. Here is Mark Shaler talking about Caravan of Love. Hello, Charlie. Mark Shaler, I um, you've asked me to record something for you on covers, songs that are covers, and um, it, it's rare that I actually prefer the cover to the original. Not not impossible, but I'm kind of a purist about these things. Remakes of films, covers of songs. I tend to like to go back to the to the source to to see what it was supposed to sound like, or supposed to be like, or supposed to read like, or whatever. Um, but I found this one remarkably easy straight away. As soon as you, you you messaged me, the first thing, the first song I thought of was um, "Caravan of Love" by the House Martins, off their album "London Nil Hall 4. Are you ready? 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 It's alright, it's alright Hand in hand we'll take a caravan To the motherland And I was really lucky, um, 1986 I'm guessing I would have been 18 Maybe maybe not quite 18 actually And um, that, that, that album had come out And I just completely fell in love with everything about the house martins i fell in love with their sound their jangle their kind of disheveled cardigan wearing indie chic everything spoke to me it was sixth form and it just they were a perfect sixth form band and i'd never been well i'd been to see gary newman play um i'd been to like not gigs but not real gigs if you know what i mean i've been to see a small band and um and they were playing at, at leicester university i grew up near leicester and my very good friend Pete Elkington and I... Actually, I think we've been to see Doctor and the Medics like two weeks before. Anyway, we, we decided we'd go and get tickets to go and see the House Martins. Um, having only heard at that point, I think, Happy Hour um, and maybe Sheep. And um, we got tickets and, and off we went. And it was... It's, you know, sometimes you just catch a band on their way up when the wind is in their sails... When, when they're just beginning to find wings. And, and, and it was that. So the queues for, for tickets from tax was massive. And we went, we went in. We were a little bit younger than most of the audience because I think we were in, I'm pretty certain we were in upper sixth. But yeah, a year or two or three younger than most of the people at university. And um, the support band, they didn't have a, a support band as such, but the support band um, came on and they were called the Fish City Five. And they were just five guys looking a bit geeky. 
And having not seen the house martins in the flesh before, I didn't realise that the Fish City Five were actually the house martins. They were their own support band, and they they came and did a series of a cappella songs as as their own support. And they were just they were just brilliant. It, I mean, it dawned on me maybe two tracks in, and I absolutely loved them. And they were funny, and they were political, and they were passionate, and they could sing. There were there were everything I needed to hear at, at that point, and I just remember stood at the, at the the union in Leicester Uni, thinking, if all gigs are like this, it's going to be a, a great life, and and not all gigs were like that, unfortunately. But what I loved about the House Martins, what I loved about that night, was the humility that they showed. They they had. They had nothing. They had they had no budget for anything. So it was just them and their voices. And then they came back on. They went, they went away, got changed, and came back on as the House Martins. Uh, and and they're, they're utterly humble and self-deprecating. And um, they had nowhere to stay. They couldn't afford hotels. So they they ran a, a little thing where they said, right, we said Dr. House Martin night. And, and members of the audience um, volunteered to let them sleep on their couch or one of them to sleep on on their couch for the night and and you could buy them a pint and it was it was such a it was such a a really lovely un-pop star thing to do and I genuinely but I mean obviously they they went on to to become the beautiful south and 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 to become fat boy slim Norman Cook Um, and there's some sadness in the tale of what happened to the house martins too which I won't dwell on now but it was one of those moments where you're the right age, 17, yeah, 17, where you're with the right person, my best mate from school. It was a summer evening from memory. So the whole kind of warm up to the gig, walking through, walking through the university campus just felt exciting and, and brilliant. And, and everything lined up and the song is an amazing song and it and it kind of became an anthem for me and my friends it was the song we we sang regularly um because you could sing it a cappella, obviously um and it became this kind of theme tune happy hour was also another theme tune for us but uh, yeah i loved it and and it didn't quite make number one um december it was it, it was released and it was I can't remember what beat it actually to number one, but not anything that it wasn't. It wasn't a comedy hit that that, that beat it from from memory. Um, but I remember I was always I remember listening to the radio. I can't remember why I listened to Radio One back then because it wasn't John Peel was what I listened to on Radio One. But it wasn't the John Peel show. Um, somebody else. It was Tony Blackburn, and I and I I'll always remember Tony Blackburn saying, "Well, of course, you know they've ruined that song." can't do a Tony Blackburn accent, woof woof from Arnold the dog. DJs were banal in the 80s. I see it apart from Peel and Janice Long. DJs were utterly banal. Oh, and Annie Nightingale. So the nighttime crew were great. The, the daytime DJs, it's a horrible, it was a horrible culture. But Blackburn said, of course, um, they've ruined that. The, the original by the Eiley Brothers was, was loads better. So I went and in those days you didn't have the internet. You couldn't go and listen to, to the Eiley Brothers um, on Spotify or on YouTube. So I had to go into the record shop, which was um, in, I grew up in a town called Hinkley in Leicestershire. It was the Hinkley Sound Centre. And I asked if I could listen to, if you could put it on for me. And of course, they, that's how they sold their records. They sold their records to people who joined their tribe. And so he put it on and I remember stood there thinking, 
Nope, I much prefer the cover. And to this day, you know, the Isley Brothers, great, amazing, but, but the House Martins, it, it was just a moment in time and it was, um, it was absolutely perfect. Stand up, everybody take a stand. Join the caravan of love. Stand up, stand up, stand up. I'm your brother. And it just became this this huge this huge song for us um, as a group of a group of, sort of 17 18 year olds. It's what we sang when we went drinking. We were definitely 18 then. Uh, it's what we sang when we went drinking um, in town. It's it's what we sang when we all went away on holiday in the summer. And it's still what we sing when we get together every year. And we get together once a more. We're not getting together this year because of COVID, but. We get, to get, get together every year and, and they all play golf and I've tried but it's not a very House Martins thing it's not a very PD Heaton or Fat Boy Slim thing to do play golf so they play golf and I turn up afterwards or turn up before and leave as they play um, and no matter how much I hate golf um, I really love my friends and so we, 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 we gravitate together and this song is part of the theme tune of who we are and what we do thank you Charlie I enjoyed delving into that little bucket of memories way, way more than I thought I would. Thank you, my friend. Thank you very much, Mark. That's just wonderful as ever. Next up, as promised, we have my friend John Williams. I worked with John Williams in the very early 90s when he was head of A&R at Chrysalis Records when he signed my band Kingmaker, the band that I was managing. John has had a very long and varied career. Um, he has guided, a and mentored, and produced an enormous number of artists, including, of course, the House Martins, the Proclaimers, Alison Moyer, Simple Minds, the Water Boys, Robert Plant, no less, the Blue Nile, brilliant, Kathy Dennis, Ocean Colosseum, Blamange, JJ Kale, Susie and the Banshees, Jethro Tull, Debbie Harry. I mean, quite a spectacular career. And I asked him to talk about a cover version, and he came back with two that he'd been involved with. And one was, funnily enough, the House Martins, and the second was Mad World. And I opted for Mad World because I've always thought that that was one of the great, not only cover versions, but reinterpretations. Anyway, enough waffle. Here is John Williams talking about his involvement with Mad World. The song that I've chosen to talk to you about today, Charlie, is Mad World, which was originally recorded by Tears for Fears and became their first hit in November 1982, appearing on their debut album, The Hurting. The song became an unlikely Christmas number one 21 years later for Michael Andrews and the singer Gary Jules, and I played a role in the story of Mad World's success. Worn out places 
Worn out faces Bright and early for their daily races Going nowhere Going nowhere In 2003, I was working at Sanctuary Records as a senior VP of A&R. As an A&R man, I was looking for records to feed our release schedule and to sign artists to the label. A good friend of mine, Paul Conroy, had arranged a meeting with me to discuss a new Christine McVie from Fleetwood Mac solo album, which of course I was most interested in hearing more about. Paul had worked at Stiff Records, Warner Brothers, and had been president of Chrysalis, where I worked for him as a producer and A&R man. And of course, it was at Chrysalis where you and I met Charlie, when we signed the band Kingmaker, who you managed. Paul and I met in my office at Sanctuary, and we agreed over a cup of tea to pursue the Christine McVie project. I then asked Paul if there was anything else he was working on. He said, what do you think about this song, Mad World? It's from a movie called Donnie Darko. I said, I'd heard of the cult movie, but not seen it, but I knew the song well, not only because it had been a hit for Tears for Fears, but I'd heard their version before it had even been released. Because in 1982, I was managing Blamange, who were signed to London Records, and London shared offices with Phonogram, who Tears for Fears were signed to, so I knew Dave Bates, their A&R man, who'd signed them and he played me the Chris Hughes production pre-release. It was a great record. But listening to this new version of Mad World was a spine-tingling, hair-raising, goose-bumping, epiphany of a moment. When the song finished, I said to Paul, it's a hit record, it's a number one, and it could be, if we get it right, the Christmas number one too. I would love to partner with you on it. So we spent the next few months setting the record up, which was helped by the extraordinary Michael Gondry video and, of course, the Donnie Darker movie business and a show-stopping live performance on TV by Gary Jules. The first time it got played on the radio, I really knew that this Roland Orzabal song was going to go all the way. On the radio, it really stood out and I told everyone I knew they should put a bet on it, being the Christmas number one. Hide my head, I want to drown my sorrow no tomorrow, no tomorrow. It was released on the 15th of December 2003, and by the following week, it was the surprise number one, holding off The Darkness and Kelly Osbourne, who were the favourites. It was no surprise to me, though. It was so different to the original. The tempo had fallen from a sprightly 120 BPM to a much slower 90. Synthesizers and heavy percussion had been swapped and replaced by a piano, modest use of a vocoder in the chorus, and a mellotron imitating a cello. Roland's teenage menopausal lyric, cataloguing raging hormones going crazy as you leave childhood, 
where your fingers are on the cliff and you're about to drop off, but somehow cling on, took on a different light with Gary Jules's reading of the song. His plaintive, slightly uncertain tenor voice made the lyric even more haunting than the original, sung by Kurt Smith, which in itself was a great version. It's a complex lyric about isolation. The lines, the dreams in which I'm dying are the best I ever had, were inspired by Arthur Jenoff's book, The Primal Scream, in which he discussed the idea that nightmares can be good because they release tension. Well, that's not your typical Christmas number one lyric, but it's a beautiful example of a person struggling with the fact that life is mad and how out of place he felt in the world. People just connected with it. One other lesser known fact, there's also a change to the lyric in Gary Jules's version. Gary sang, enlarging your world, when in fact the original lyric is, how large you in world. Tears for Fears producer Chris Hughes had a running joke in the studio about this made-up planet and had a catchphrase, Oh, that's so Halargian. Kurt Smith jokingly sang the studio banter line on the actual record. But going back to the original version, I remember hearing the Dave Bates playing Madwell before he was released, and it was obvious that the song was a great one and the record was a hit. Little did I think at the time that my own green light involvement was going to help the song become a standard later down the line. And as for that Christmas bet, I eventually put a small wager on the record, which paid for a few Christmas drinks. Thank you, John. I just love the idea that you and Mark have connected on this. Anyway, I'm going to talk about a cover version. And um, I hope you don't mind me talking about my cover version. Mine is This Corrosion by Lamb Chop. And Lamb Chop are one of my absolute favorite bands. Give me the ring, kissed and told Give me something that I missed Give me the ring, a hand to hold Wild, for it to sing Give me the ring, kill the king When love is the law Give me the ring, give me dream child Lamb Chop, and particularly Kurt's voice, just floor me. It does something to me, that sort of magical thing that we can't actually, or I certainly can't put words to about music. I got the album that this is on, Is A Woman, on CD after I'd read some really favourable reviews. And I remember playing it on CD in our kitchen at Glendie and, and being underwhelmed for the first two or three listens. But, but I, I, I persisted, as you often have to. And then it just grew and grew on me and I was completely hooked. It has the amazing song, Is A Woman, on the album. But this was one of my favourite songs. And, and I listened to it, I loved this, and it just took me ages to recognise it. With Lamb Chop, their music is so light of touch and so gentle that it's barely there. It's a bit like some of Anthony Gormley or someone's drawings, maybe just three simple lines on a white background and nothing else, and yet profoundly moving. Kurt Wagner, who is the brains and principal songwriter and singer of Lamb Chop, was a floor sander for many years of his career. His band have never really emerged from being much more than a cult band, but they are a reasonably 
big cult band and I follow their every move and love them deeply. This is not on their most famous LP, but I think that it is the best LP and I've always supported it. And um, when we used to sell records at Peddlers, I was told by the record label that we were the biggest retailer of the LP in Britain in the year that it was released. So I've always held that rather dearly. And I have another personal connection with it in that I introduced the record to a good friend of mine who was directing a couple of episodes of the then cult TV series Skins. And um, he put Is A Woman into one of those editions. So I've always felt that if I ever met Kurt, he and I might bond, but I suspect he'd just think I was a boring fan. Anyway, the original version was by the Sisters of Mercy, a 90, British 1980s sort of goth band. And, and actually, it's not a bad song. It, it starts out all gothy with kind of dark choirs and then a what's now a really cheesy thumping drum machine kicks in and, and you can imagine the singer strutting around in a leather coat or a leather raincoat. And what emerges after that is then just a pretty much a standard pompous 80s song. It's a good song and it was a massive hit, but I don't think it's anything special. But Kurt Wagner clearly recognised something in it. And his version starts with simple picked guitar, gentle piano, and, and it's almost plodding. And then in comes that incredible, beautiful voice. And it, it's supported by some really beautiful harmonies. It's a perfect song. And it does everything that a great cover version should. This Corrosion by Lamb Chop with the original by the Sisters of Mercy. Right, well, that's it for this first edition. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Thank you very much to Mark and John for their contributions. I'll be back in a couple of days with a second edition, and I will see you then. Thank you very much. Thanks to you. Thanks to my friend Jim Friend. See you soon. Bye. <laughs>